everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us Murphy Jensen. A lot of people remember Murphy winning the 1993 French Open doubles tournament with his brother, Luke Jensen, in remarkable fashion, including celebrating by Luke breaking Murphy's jaw after match point. Murphy teamed up with his brother to win a total of four ATP doubles titles. Murphy reached a career-high doubles ranking of number 17 in the world in 1993. Murphy led the Washington Castles to six World Team Tennis Championship titles, including five consecutive titles and two undefeated seasons in 2011 and 2012. Played two years at USC and one year at the University of Georgia. Currently, Murphy is the co-founder and executive vice president of business development for We Connect Health Management. We Connect Health is an addiction relapse prevention and real-time outcomes digital health platform providing custom support and connection for those in recovery from substance use disorders. Murphy works tirelessly to reduce the stigma of addiction and to encourage and lead others with the disorder to receive proper care. His passion is to bring awareness to addiction and leave behind a legacy of helping others. He hasn't lost an ounce of energy after all these years. We're thrilled to have him on the pod tonight. Please welcome to the pod, Murphy Jensen. Murphy, it's about time we got you on here. Thanks for coming on. Come on, David. It's an honor and a privilege to be anywhere, living the life that I used to live. Uh, being vertical is a win and waking up is a, a monster victory. I, I'm grateful beyond measure to be part of this uh, pod tonight. Well, listen, we had your brother on twice. I mean, you, you could only talk to him so many times, right? There was not a not a chance I was getting him on three times before talking to his you know, better looking brother, right? Yeah, well, I heard he had the uh, the highest rated podcast of all the podcasts that you've produced. And, and it's a direct, I'll tell you, the secret is that nobody listens to himself more than Luke. I mean, he <laughs> tunes in 24 seven all day. And those that clicker, it's like, man, yeah. let's get the, you know. There, we there had the are, algorithm. We had the algorithm the going algorithm. on. He owns the algorithm. He is an algorithm. He's a tennis algorithm of uh, serving aces with both hands. That's right. That's right. So um, take it back to a, a serious matter here. Um, we're getting through the end of this pandemic, hopefully. Um, we're we're going to get to We Connect um a little bit more later in the pod, but just with, with the little intro that I gave about it, um, how has everybody been doing that you've seen going through that, um, that application and that company with everything going on right now? Well, with We Connect Health Management, it was back in April, March, or March, April, uh, maybe a year and change ago, where my co-founder, co-founder and our CEO had an idea leading up to the quarantine and the shutdown and everything else, she says, what happens if there's a shutdown and there are no services available available for people struggling with substance use disorder and the church is shut down and whether it's homelessness, anybody. And where's the support gonna be if those services, I can't get to the hospital or an emergency room or receive medically assisted treatment. And so we appeared on CNN by an accident because she was the first or we were the first to uh, provide and we continue to provide free online support group meetings led by peer recovery support coaches. And 
To date, we have pressed upwards to a million people visiting those meetings, which started off as one meeting per day. I think we're up to eight to 10 meetings per day, and now it's embedded into the patient-facing mobile application. And, you know, it's really, this is way beyond forehands and backhands and anything Murphy Jensen could ever have imagined in his wildest dreams, being able to, uh, to do something at this level where People get support and they, the, the feedback we get from customer uh, service or support daily is re really what drives me and inspires uh, our entire company, which is mission driven at the highest order. And that, that is to help, help others. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing work. We're going to get to it uh, a little bit of detail uh, in yeah. a bit, but let's but take it back. The thing that the pandemic did do for the, the, the Murphy Jensen house is that A, got me a pretty good tan last summer on the deck. It was the first summer in my life where I wasn't on the road for some tennis, some tennis. It might be French Open stuff or Tennis Channel stuff or US Open uh, Lacoste appearances, whatnot. It, it shut down the whole world, especially my world, but what it gave me got me back on the tennis court. Like it got me back on the tennis court really for me. And I started hitting on the wall and I started doing some sit-ups like Rocky and chopping wood, like uh, Dragomir, uh, that's in, from the movie Wimbledon. No, <laughs> and uh, no, I, and I fall in love with this game from a, uh, a player standpoint. I'm not teaching, I'm not coaching the castles anymore. I mean, I, I help anybody that asks me to, hey, will you hit balls with me and stuff like that. But I'm actually playing some tennis again. I've dropped like 20 pounds and in, and I'm relearning it from a different perspective, you know, That's from great. a different place than, uh, than, I, than I did growing up, growing up in Michigan. Well let's, well, let's go back to that place growing up in Michigan. I know you have a family of athletes. We know about Luke. Uh, two sisters, one of your sisters played at my alma mater, University of Kansas. Rock Jayhawk. Chalk, Jayhawk. Rock Chalk, Jayhawk there. Um, your dad was a football player on the New York Giants. I mean, tennis, how did that, how did that get involved with your whole family? I would love to hear everybody's uh, response to that one, but it's pretty much uh, a Jensen Universal theme is that he built a tennis court. Everything we were doing as young children, when you have kids, you every parent, all parents usually struggle What? activities should we get our kids in? What do they gravitate to? And we want to find the things that stick. Dad being uh, really involved with athletics personally and then professionally, he taught, you know, phys ed forever. He was really interested in anything hand-eye and then our footwork. So he, he really had his eye on the prize is that Luke and I would be football players without question. But he, he was handed a tennis racket and taught the game at a time where he was done with football. You need too many people for that. Uh, and he loved staying in shape and he loved this game of tennis. And he knew that, uh, that tennis would be great for our footwork for football. Luke and I were also involved with tap dancing. Uh, I'm not sure if you, Luke had mentioned that, but we did tap dancing for a number of years. Tennis got involved and then our mom was in gymnastics, so that threw us into some gymnastics. And, you know, I was really creative. I was into the arts as well. And then we, in that 
the the choice of coaching after dad taught us from tennis magazines the different tips and tutorials on how to hit forehands and backhands like a good high school coach and taking us to different steve cantardi would have tennis workshops for high school coaches all through the midwest and he would drag luke and i to these tennis workshops with the other high school coaches and we were learning from the volunteers and the Mario, uh, uh, Steve Contardis of the world, and Nick Volatari. Luke got introduced to him at in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, took the car ferry over from Ludington. Our parents just exposed us to a ton of stuff. And tennis stuck at a young age. Growing up in northern Michigan gave us an, an advantage. You'd say, how is that possible? There's no indoor facilities up there. Well, number one, we took advantage of the time we had on those indoor courts. Plus, we, we developed the wall. We learned to play on the wall, indoors more than outdoors, outdoors in the summer. And we learned to play in bad and rough conditions. So when we're playing in Romania, Nigeria, or Bologna, Italy, with big craters in the clay, you know, a bad day in Paris is a great day in Ludington, you know, or Northern Michigan. So, you know, if it got to be a tornado out there, it was no problem. We were used to snow flurries hitting balls through that and snow blowing tennis courts. And, and it was all always an, a real privilege to play tennis. It wasn't a right. It was really a gift. And then we got to go indoors. So having growing up with the wall and roughing it a little bit, and then we were offered Grand Rapids, you know, or Traverse City had some indoor facilities and we got to play tennis in here. And then we got to travel in the summers by the age of, for me, 11, I'm playing the national circuit, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, and all the nationals. At a national ranking by 10, 11, 12. And my group was, I looked at a draw the other day. I think we've got five Hall of Famers in my age group. We had Agassi, who was seated at Kalamazoo this one, one particular year. He was seated, seated 10th. Sampras was 15th. Courier was maybe fourth. I was fifth. Chang, you know, you name it. I mean, and the the bottom of the barrel was the Todd Martins. And I mean, it's just crazy. And Todd Martin and I talked about the first time we had met. I'm playing the 10 and under state championships. I'm eight. And this nagging woman from the Lansing Racket Club is saying, come on to my opponent. Come on, Damon. Come on, Damon. And I say to this girl, and I'm eight years old, I'm a young McEnroe in the making. And I say, why don't you drop dead? Turns out it's Todd Martin's mother. Twenty some years later, Todd goes, "You're never going to believe this." But my mom, my wife, eight play. years old. You said that. That's that's not. Well, who? How? Where did I learn that expression? <laughs> so I had an amends to make early in life, and um, we're good today. Thank that's God. so funny. Well, I mean, look, your parents did a heck of a job because all of you guys played at a high level. All played collegiately, and some played even higher level. Um, you, you you played two years at USC. Did not play with your brother. You just missed playing with your brother. Um, you went one year at Georgia. Talk about your experiences at, at, at both those places, two powerhouses um, yeah. in collegiate tennis, obviously. Talk a little bit about your experiences at both those places and, and why you transferred um, after two years and, and how that kind of uh, affected you um, in, in a personal way moving forward. Well, I... I... I, I left USC as a, I had two years at USC and I, and I entered a team that was 34-0 uh, going into the NCAAs 
and they make the semis or maybe even the finals and they lose to Georgia at Georgia. And it was a famous match where basically riots broke out. They had kegs of beer in the stands and you imagine the Georgia crowd with free beer. And, and I really felt for my brother. It's crazy that I ended up going to Georgia, but uh, I had a connection there. Ola Malmquist came to live with me in high school. I, we had great teachers growing up, Luke and I. That's just really important to know. Don Dickinson from the Mid-America Tennis Academy, he probably outside of Volatario was one of the first tennis coaches to start a tennis academy uh, in, in parallel with the Volatari and the Volatari Tennis Academy at the time. Brian Marcus played it for the University of Michigan. And then Victor Amaya, who was a Grand Slam champion, big lefty. We had Malavai Washington living at our house. So back to USC, I, I entered a team that the worst player on the team played in the Olympics and the year before, or was on the Davis Cup team for Mexico. Both guys were top 100 players in the world, Jorge Lozano and Eric Amond. And, and I'm fighting for my life with Byron Black for a spot on this team. And I have a pretty good resume we're, we're walking into this place. Absolutely. You know, I could have gone to Michigan, Northwestern, you name it, and played number one probably in my sleep. And that, you know, so many offers like that were on the table. But I really wanted to follow in my brother's footsteps. I never visited campus. Uh, I think it was extremely far away from home. And not playing number one, I think, if anything I can identify with, is the fact that for the first time I... I was feeling like the embarrassment for not playing where I thought I needed to play to get the approval of my family and things like that. So here I'm five and six, but I'm on the best team that's ever played college tennis. Rick Leach, Scott Melville, there's a lot of Grand Slam champions in this thing or finalists. Everybody was a top 20 player just about on that team. And and I and 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 you know that experience led, led me down a rabbit hole where I started partying more. The funny thing is my academics went up. My academics at USC went up because I couldn't find, uh, I wasn't finding the, the, the stuff I got from winning tennis matches on the court, on the court. So I found it in the classroom and then I joined a fraternity to find a tribe and that tribe is when I started drinking and, 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 and actually used drugs for the first time. And, and, I, and I say that with humility, you know, and, and, and a lot of healing because it took a long time to, to get to a point where I can have this conversation. You know, it took a lot of forgiveness. Uh, and my coach at USC is someone I love to death, uh, Coach Dick Leach. He taught me a lot. And then when I got into coaching, he was my first call and I actually made amends to Coach Leach because, you know, I, I got to see as a coach his side of it and how crazy sometimes us young players can be in our requests and how, how uh, much of a headache that, uh, that a fearful tennis player or, or God knows what, um, a guy like me could, could uh, give him some sleepless nights. So, but he also helped me as a, as a human being at the highest order, as all my coaches did. And then, you know, I looked to, I looked at him when I started coaching the Washington Castles. I also looked to, I started studying the greats, you know, John Wood and Pete Carroll, 
anybody that had a formula for success, I wanted to emulate and figure out what, it's one thing winning, I knew how to win, but how do you repeatedly win? How do you do this over and over and how, and what matters, what really matters on that tennis court? And I've discovered on the tennis court or off the tennis court, life is an inside job. And I got to get this right before all this gets right. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you win 10 grand slams, if you go home with depression, if you go home with anxiety, or you don't feel, have the feeling you measure up or, or are enough, doesn't matter how many matches you win. And, you know, the greatest pay grade I can hope to achieve in this life is a good human being. And I didn't know that before. I thought it was about outside stuff, you know, money or this or uh, affection, approval. And the, the person I got to get right with is the guy in the mirror, you know, before. And it's so funny. I'm, I'm reading The Inner Game of Tennis 52 Years Too Late. You know, what a book. And in yeah, so many ways, book. his his the principles within that book and the philosophy and the values are, are really what set me free from, uh, from addiction and everything else. It's living so, a life like Yeah. That. So, so you did have those, those couple of years at USC and then you did go to Georgia for one. Yes. Year. Yes. I just had a cappuccino. So if I, if I had gone off on a tangent, no, no, you're I, fine. Stop, stop me. No. And, um, Went to Georgia basically because the partying had started at USC. And, and I thought to myself, two things happened. My best friends and my uh, peers were becoming very wealthy and very successful on the tennis court. Number one, Andre Agassi. Number two, Pete Sampras and the courier to follow and then Chang. And, I, and I'm sitting here thinking, my, my, my stock as a tennis player is going this way because of my choices and I better get make a move and it was a good departure from usc at the time uh i i didn't and then Ola Ola malmquist who was a coach of mine an ncaa champion at georgia and became a usta coach for i think close to 30 years now i get called man manuel diaz manny diaz and there was a spot for me and i got to reunite with my old doubles partner al parker Al Parker and I had won maybe 15 national junior doubles titles together and two orange bowl championships. So we knew what we were doing. We came all Americans overnight and it was back, back to the races and it was time for me to turn pro. Got it. No, that was a good year and a half. Luke and I won the French open. It was crazy. crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it didn't all start like that. I mean, that's, I mean, you you know, you, you join your brother on pro tour. I mean, here he's having some success. You're the, you're the younger brother. Um, it's not always easy doing that, right? Because now you feel, let's say you're struggling a little bit. You're playing doubles with your brother. You're like, well, I don't want to bring him down. And I'm, I'm a little brother too. So I, I, I get yeah. that, right? You're like, I don't want to bring, you know, my, my older brother down with me. I need to go up to his level. And did you ever, did I, I know I've just talking with you offline and, and listening to other stuff. I know that you struggled with that a little bit. No, it's it, the tell you the truth. Starting out, uh, I always knew, I always knew since, since is my earliest memory that I wanted to be with my bro- brother. I always felt safe and protected with my big brother. And he, 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 uh, he was my hero on every level. 
And younger brothers can identify with that. And so turning pro, it took me a year and a half to get a ranking that he could play with me. And after a year and a half, I was maybe hovering around a hundred in doubles and he's ranked like four. He had just won Monte Carlo coming off a big year, world championships with Laurie Warder, quarterfinals of the French. And he chose to play with me in 1993. So I got an our combined ranking at 104 is 104. And we, that gets us into the Australian Open. And we start off actually quite well. We, we first, we get to the second round, maybe, or third of Doha, Qatar, and lose seven, six in the third. After a very strenuous off-season training in, in Tucson, Arizona with Don Dickinson, our old coach that taught Luke how to serve with both hands. So we go to Doha, Qatar. Then we rip it over to Sydney, Australia, and we make the semifinals there, taking out uh, Scott Davis and David. We might have even made the finals of Sydney. And then the third week was uh, the Australian Open. I want to say we made the third or fourth round there. So we're up and running, and things are cooking. Coming back from Australia, I want to say we make the semis or finals of San Jose, but the, the key matches are we beat – uh, Richie Renneberg and Jim Grab, who at the time were number one in the world. So within four weeks, we beat the number one team in the world and we have good results. Now the point, the part, the, the place where you're speaking of happens when we enter the clay court season. The clay court season hits and I want to say we are on a eight to 10 match losing, first round losing streak. Luke, on the other hand, has the way the tour works is that when you make the finals or win something or win a round, you have one year to defend those points. And so the next we get to Hamburg after an 8-10 match we, uh, losing streak first round, and those are one pointers. You're not, you know, getting big contracts with one pointers. You're, you're <laughs> no. actually going to be sent home, you know, working at the gas station or something back in Lettington. And uh which would have been pretty cool. I like people. And uh, Hamburg, we lose again first round. And prior to Rome, the year before, he had made the semifinals, I want to say, or finals. Of a ton Rome. of points to defend. A yeah. ton of points. Quarters of the French, and they won Bologna their year before. And so I said, hey, Luke, if you if you got to go on without me, I don't, I won't blame you. And, uh, and he says, Murphy, I believe in you and I believe in our ability, your ability and, and, and our ability as a team to do great things. And I don't care if we drop to a thousand in the world. Uh, my ranking doesn't mean as much as my belief in what we can accomplish. So that next week we beat uh, the, the team that won the French Open the year before. We beat Mark Rosé and Jacob Lassick in a, a barn burner fight. They'd won the French Open the year before. We make the semis of the French finals of Bologna and win the French Open. Mm -hmm. And the day before the French starts, he says, Murph, we can win this thing. And I'm thinking, win this thing. Last time I was in Paris, I swore I'd never come back here again. It's my first French Open I've ever played. And we win this thing. <laughs> and so we not only win this thing, he accidentally breaks my jaw. There's a videotape of this out there. And two points before serving out the match. I hadn't lost my serve in two weeks, I don't think. And it was just Luke can tell the story like it's a Picasso painting of every match along those two weeks. Yeah, he, and we had him on. He did. I mean, you there there were a lot of close calls there. there. You were very close about three or four different times of 
losing very early in that tournament. <laughs> yeah, there's the one we were down 5-3 in the third in the rain delay, and there was the first two rounds at like 9-7 or 11-9 in the third set. But the thing about winning those close ones or those ones you're supposed to lose, we became a very dangerous opponent. Because even in the finals, we were down 2-0 in the third, or maybe even 3-0, and we came back and won 6-4. And in spite of whatever the deficit, we we always had a that feeling like we were never out of it. Yeah. And and our mindset had just really our, our saw had gotten sharpened, uh, quite sharpened. And then two points before the winning this thing I'm serving for it, I say, whatever you do, buddy. Don't hurt me because in the quarterfinals, he told everyone in the locker room that he would pin me and tackle me like a big time wrestler into the clay. And I didn't want to be on live on NBC covered in clay and, and, and uh, pummeled by my big brother. And he goes, what are you talking about? We haven't won anything. And it's really interesting. I had never watched the match until maybe a few months ago. And uh, I got so tight, I double faulted twice. Um, and it's hard to bring a match like that home, especially if you're playing in your first final. Of course, I don't care if I, he had said that or not, but he goes, we haven't won anything yet. And I got tight and uh, we get down a break point. I hit a volley completely out of, out of my rear end. And uh, the Sango volley almost went behind him. And, and then by match point, I wanted nothing to do with the overhead smashes that would was going to be the shot to win it. And when he won it, I was so worried about him when he went to hug me that he catches me with an elbow and cracks my jaw. I ended up with a broken upper jaw, lower jaw and chin. Oh. And then I didn't have to have it treated until years later, but it was like, I'm sitting there with a, you had to do it. You had to do it. I, Mom always said you were a, no, it's, um, I just went right to being five and be feeling like being picked on, but I wasn't. And I, and I look at Luke's, if you look at his expression, he drops his head because he didn't mean it. Of course and, not. Uh, and, and it's just be like, the best moment of your like, lives. Yeah. Of course the best, most important point of my tennis life. And this game has given us so much. We've been so overpaid and I continue to reap the benefits of uh, hitting forehands and backhands and serves. It could be, you know, I live here in Seattle, Washington today, and we have a little court on the on Lake Washington, and there's a I hit on the wall, and I, I don't care if it's a beginner or someone learning for the first time, um, or some superstar. I'll play with play with anybody. You no, know, that's that's great. I do want to um I do want to circle up. We mentioned it, um, at your incredible success with World Team Tennis, and honestly, I mean, World Team ten Tennis fits you and Luke to a T. I mean, you had incredible success, uh, in coaching the castles, six, you know, world team tennis championship titles. Your brother just killed me this summer. My Chicago smash the very last point that could possibly been played in the whole tournament. Coco Vandaway rips a four and hits the back one eighth of a line. I mean, the back one eighth of a line. We still, I, I texted Luke that night cause we were scheduled to do a pod shortly after I said, I can't do it. It's like, breaking up with, with a girlfriend, right? Give me some time, like, give me some time to get over this. You, the, you, you beat the smash by the, the slimmest of margins, but um, we, we, we did the pot about a week or two later and it, it was so great talking about it. 
what I mean, it, it's obvious that that whole setup fits your personalities to a team. I think it's no surprise why you guys have had great success uh, in your involvement with World Team Tennis. You know, what's uh, what strikes me in that in that that thought from your perspective is that as a player, I really struggled with World Team Tennis, and at that time, it was it was less defined. You had the the players of yesterday playing with the current players. And is this an exhibition or is this real? Right. But Mark Gein changed world team tennis. He made it real. I mean, we had Serena on my team, Venus on my team, Hingis on my team, yep. Leander on my team. And then we had Query, Kyrgios, Azarenka. These are real players. <laughs> yeah. You know, still playing on the tour. And... You know, if we won, it's the coach. If we lose, it's the player's fault. No, there's, <laughs> always, there's, no, there's no blame game in world team tennis. No, <laughs> but, you know, I, I took it serious. Mark took me serious. And he, he was also a mentor in my, in my professional life after tennis where he, he saw the work I was doing with Tennis Channel. I had Murphy's Guide and Open Access. And, 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 I, and I enjoyed that immensely. And Ken Solomon and I and I remain great friends and Bob Wiley and all Heath Woodleaf and the camera operators, everybody, the editors are like family. And a lot of those guys were at my wedding and, you know, world team tennis. And I, and everybody thought they meant Luke when, when they asked Mark I, and so did you find a coach? And they said, we got Murphy Jensen. Oh no, no, no. You mean Luke? No, 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 no. I got my guy. I got my guy. And I coached, ironically, way before Luke ever got involved. Luke didn't get involved until a couple of years ago. And Mark and I and, and, and everybody involved, it was a collaborative effort where the team bought into a culture of, of we, that, that we are here to, to serve one another and these fans, that these fans have a choice in and, and what it takes for a fan to get to an arena and play and the investment. And I think Mark, what Mark did different is that he invested in those players, not just financially. He made sure they, they had anything and everything they needed to be successful. The arena was world-class. We had cheerleaders from the Redskins or whoever, uh, the Washington football team that came over and, you know, they, there was just so much professionalism. The stadium was state-of-the-art wherever he ended up housing the, the team. And when the, the players are treated with that respect for the work and their professionalism, the players respond. And then I was at a perfect time in my life where I had the opportunity really to to do in and if I were to give the credit why we are a perfect fit for that we were raised by the best coaches in the world our parents they they taught us the value of enthusiasm they taught us the value of just giving it everything you got and that's the scorecard I never once mentioned winning winning or losing and I really didn't care what I cared about is that we gave this everything we absolutely you know the competitive edge was that all five or six of us on that team every single year, they had to beat all of us. And that was, that was not going to happen. Like you might clip Serena one night, or you might get Leander and Martino, but to get all five, not happening. And we were really stacked up in Renee Stubbs, Bobby Reynolds, you know, the, the list goes on and on, whether they're a star player or uh, a journey person, um, 
that literally teed me up and set me up for success outside the game. You know, my first business, real business experience, I want to say was with the Castles. And then it was with Sea Island, Georgia, as the director of tennis at Sea Island. And I got to learn, you know, the acumen of accounting and and PL and and everything that goes into, you know, growing a successful business. And I knew what what sold the game on the court. And that's joy. You bring some joy to the game. You're going to, I knew it, it sold tickets when Luke and I played. A hundred percent. And I had a young gal and I really didn't know how to teach a tykes class. And I, but this gal brought out balloons and she brought fun and she brought face painting to tennis. You know, how do you teach a three to five year old? Now I got a three and a half year old upstairs and I'm going to bring out the balloons and the face painting and the this and the that and the bubbles. It bubbles with your racket. And then they're going to associate fun and smiles with this game. Let's go play tennis. And for the first time, the three and a half year old says, "Does daddy is daddy going to play tennis today?" And I just thought it was so cool. You know, he's learning so cool. worlds so cool. and birds and stuff. And my twenty one year old Billy is at Seattle University, a captain of the tennis team, and and a four student on the president's list. And you know, pretty the best, cool. Man. The best. You know. I, I where where I was in 1999, uh, the life I've I've been able to live since uh, crash landing in Los Angeles. You know, between Mark Ein, Michael Milken, and all the different influencers of my personal journey, and the people that have supported me. You know, it's 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 what I'm doing when no one's watching, and uh, you know what what actions am I taking, and you know, am I okay with the guy in the mirror and you know, just like our castles, nobody did it alone. There wasn't one person that won those matches. And, and, and it's been my experience. I got two dogs. There's a dog that <laughs> likes to sit with me when I'm on the computer. So, yeah, no, no. And so, you know, you, you kind of transitioned to it for me and thank you for doing that. But I want to end with kind of where we started and that's with we connect. Um, and you highlighted it a little bit, but if you don't mind, as, you know, tell the listeners, you know, exactly what it is. How did you, how did you get involved in it and, and where you can find more information about it? Because it's truly um, fantastic, the work that, that you and everyone's been doing over there. Well, the, the story goes, you know, that at every, uh, everybody has, you know, I, I'm at Sea Island three years and I've had the world team tennis experience. And, and after three years at Sea Island, and I felt I had grown a lot, you know, I was 44 years old and, and dad, our dad, my dad had, our dad had passed. And when he passed away, I was kind of, I was shot, not kind of, I was shot out of a cannon and, and, and everything meant something. Every moment was important. I really understood the value of, of 24 hours with you on this podcast or with my brother or with my mom. And, and as our, parents got older so my wife and I sold everything packed up everything and headed west on a whim and it was actually through an experience with visiting my in-laws for Thanksgiving with a nice tan in Seattle that my mother-in-law asked me if I'd be willing to take a family friend to a support group meeting here in Seattle because I still attend support group meetings wherever I am and 
in that experience with him, he he says, you know, where have you been? I said, Richard Branson's pilot, private island for a, where'd you get that tan? And I said, Richard Branson's, he, a girl, he says to me, a girl in my outpatient program that built system engineering teams for Microsoft was, was there when you were there. You know, you should meet her. So I got together with this gal and she shares with me wireframes and, and whiteboarding, all this, this stuff where when she was in treatment, she, her counselor said, there's a 90% chance that you are going to relapse within the first year. The relapse rates for people in the first year of recovery is awful. Mm -hmm. And the opioid epidemic was just starting to take hold seven, eight years ago. So she says, you know, we have an opportunity to leverage this technology. You can use technology for good, or you can use it for great. In our, in our case, we can leverage this technology and she discovered the two drivers of relapse were lack of accountability to a piece of paper she was handed when she left a treatment center. Do these 10 things for the rest of your life. It's called the care plan. There's no accountability to that care plan. There's no connection and there's no reward or incentives to even to stay compliant or on track. So that was really the genesis of WeConnect. And I became the finance and funding person. And I started picking up the phone and calling everyone I know. And shortly, you know, we, we went on to win TechCrunch Seattle. And Seattle, that's not an easy thing to do with Amazon, no. <laughs> Microsoft, and all the tech companies up here. We won TechCrunch Seattle. Then we go to San Francisco, another tough place to win a tech competition. We win, I'm on the main stage of TechCrunch Disrupt. And we're pitching our stuff. And then that led to a series A round of funding. And what I'm sharing with you and the audience is are things that I knew nothing and had no prior experience doing finance, funding, tech companies, engineering developers, data scientists, all these things I work with today. The sky's the limit. You know, the one thing that tennis has taught me is how to solve problems. Tennis on the tennis court, there's no opponent that's going to play me exactly the same. And how that, well, how that opponent plays is going to determine how I'm going to play that match. So tennis really, in the way, the way you know, we grow as tennis players help me in life after tennis, which is We Connect. And We Connect is about preventing relapse from a chronic condition that, you know, there is no cure for. You know, it's an obsession of the mind, an allergy of the body. And there's, you know, the, there's a lot of pathways to recovery. There's 12 steps, there's medically assisted treatment. There's so many exciting uh, opportunities for people to get there. But at the same time, the thing that kept me sick was the, the, stigma, the stigma in and around uh, SUD addiction or alcoholism is that, you know, I thought it was the worst thing that could have happened in my life. And 21 years later, it turns out to be the best thing that could have happened to me. Number one, I got to find out who I am and where, what, what my, uh, what was causing me to medicate, self-medicate the way I did. And then, you know, why couldn't I stop once I started? So I know we've taken a tennis podcast into some serious areas, but there isn't one person in America that doesn't know somebody. So we leverage technology. We are an end-to-end -end solution. You know, just for free online support group meetings, uh, you can go to weconnectrecovery.com. 
and, and get support. And then we've got peer recovery services and we also motivate you through incentives and rewards, monetary rewards. And through your health plan, there's a good chance your health plan or your health insurance will co cover it as a benefit. And if it doesn't, ask your health plan to get it. Right. Uh, because to have that 24 hour support in the palm of your hand, you know, I could be in traffic or sitting at the airport and be in a support group meeting and get plugged into the solution. You know, I don't want to worry about Murphy's problems. What's the solution for the migraine? It's to take a nap, drink more water, relax. What's the solution to anxiety and stress? Maybe reach out. Isolation is the number one killer of people with uh, SUD and mental health uh, issues, I find. At least it's been my personal experience. Not that what I've read about, it's my, per I, you know, left to my own devices, it can be a dark place between the ears. So, you know, I, in so many words, I, I this is the, the most impactful and important work I'll ever do in my life because it's, it's something- It's amazing. It's amazing. And the website for those to like, take a look at the website because it gives a little, you know, background on it as well. And it's pretty- it's pretty amazing. Like you said, it's, it's, uh, you know, winning the French open is something that, you know, uh, only 0.00001% of the people get to do in their life. But like what you said, the work you're doing now is even more amazing than that. And I want to thank you, um, for one, spending time with me tonight and, and sharing your journey because, um, it's, it, it's purely, it, it's just awesome. See, seeing from you, what, what's occurred to you, what's happened to you, um, all the amazing things you're doing now from a tennis perspective, the mm -hmm. sport of tennis is lucky to have the Jensen family around because you guys yeah. have given so much and, uh, it, it's been awesome talking with you even offline, um, yeah. from when we recorded this and, uh, we wish you, um, we connect also everyone in your family, the, the, the best of luck going forward. And, uh, thank, thank you seriously, uh, from the bottom of my heart from spending time tonight and talking with me. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. I love your show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Murphy. Talk to you soon. Yeah.